Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm so glad you tracked us down. I hope you're having a blessed day, wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about hunting today. I know we've had some more serious conversations and interviews of late, and I thought we'd maybe dial it down just a little bit. Still have a serious conversation with my friend Benoit Boudreau about his journey of faith and tools to evangelize and to be on the lookout for souls as well. But Benoit is also an avid hunter of various waterfowl and larger game as well, deer, moose. He's uh, really an expert actually at it. So I was really glad that he agreed to come on and talk to us about this topic here on this episode. And I thought a timely verse would be from the Old Testament. We know that God has given humans dominion over animals. And I think sometimes we get that a little bit backwards in our society and culture today. We need to know that there's, there's a hierarchy in heaven. There's a hierarchy on earth as well, and humans need to to love and respect uh, creation and animals, of course, but we also have dominion over animals. There is a right place in the order of the world that God has given to humans. And of course, we know Adam named all the animals back in uh, the very first book of the Bible in Genesis to to prove that point and to uh, to confirm what God's plan is for earth and how things are supposed to move in right order. And I think that's something that's really important. So we go to the book of the wisdom of Solomon, uh, chapter nine for this verse. It says, O God of my fathers and Lord of mercy, who have made all things by your word and by your wisdom have formed man to have dominion over the creatures you have made and rule the world in holiness and righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, from the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9. So Benoit's got some great stories about hunting and some good tips about how you can get into it with your family. And I think there's something to be said about being outdoors as well. Outside, also those longer hunts, you got to be quiet. You've got to have some silence in order to get what you're looking for. But uh, that's a good um, lesson for us too, even in the spiritual life. We know that contemplative prayer is a step up from our regular verbal prayer. Please be uh, very vigilant and consistent with your verbal prayers as well, whether that's saying grace before meals and after meals, praying the rosary, divine mercy chaplet, all those great prayers. But contemplative prayer in the silence of your heart, having those conversations with the Lord, mostly listening to what God has to say. And I think that there's some parallels and some lessons we can learn from the people that hunt in this world. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with my friend Benoit Boudreau. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Well, praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Benoit Boudreau is a gentleman of many talents, and he makes his living as a professional arborist, owning a company called Tree Ninja that services our Edmonton area. And he's also an avid hunter and has a YouTube channel called School of the Hunt. But most importantly, he is a family man with a great love for service to the church through evangelization and following God's will. So welcome to our brother in Christ, Benoit Boudreau, to the Catholic Connect podcast. Thank you so much, David. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thanks so much, Benoit. It's great to chat with you. So without confusing our listeners too much, it feels like we're already family, not uh, though not quite through blood, but simply put, your wife has a brother that is married to my niece. So a yes. cool thing about, uh, <laughs> that's the cool thing about large yeah. families, right? Large Catholic families is that the sacrament of marriage connects so many people too. And that's 
uh, my connection to you, Benoit, which is a real blessing. So this is your first appearance on our podcast. So I want to thank you for that. I always like to ask our guests to give us a Coles Notes version of their journey of faith and and how you got to where you are today. So maybe just give us a, a brief description of what look, that looked like and uh, how you came to a relationship with our Lord. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be honored to. So uh, my parents baptized me as Catholic, and uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church. Um, right before my parents uh, conceived me, they actually had a huge conversion, kind of part of the charismatic movement of the church with uh, the Companions of the Cross out in Ottawa. And it was actually a companion of the cross who actually told my mom, it's like contraception is a sin. You, you can't be doing that. And she, she never heard that before in the confessional. And so she says, okay, she went as like, they're both in university at the time. And she told my dad, she's like, we, we, we have to stop doing this. You know what I mean? We have to get our act together and do what God wants us to. And because of that, I was conceived shortly thereafter. So, but I, I have to, I've always had a gratitude to the companions of the cross. Um, and uh, throughout my young childhood, I, I'd always considered a vocation to the priesthood. I was like, maybe I'll join the companions of the cross, or maybe I'll become a Benedictine monk because my name Benoit means uh, Benedict in English. Um, so I was I was discerning that, and and I was, got very involved with altar serving and things like that. But I also got very good at hockey, um, and actually I was able to uh, get to very high levels of hockey uh, in Calgary. Uh, I ended up playing for the AAA Bronx, uh, the Northwest Quadrant of Calgary, and okay. uh, some of my teammates actually were uh, are in the NHL right now. So Josh Morrissey was my D partner. Oh, he plays wow. for the Winnipeg Jets right now. Yeah. So why didn't uh, I know the, this about you? <laughs> I remember. I think I think your brother was pretty good too. I I heard about uh, your brother through your dad, and he probably mentioned you too. I just forgot, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, Josh yeah. Morrissey. I think our, yeah. our hockey fan listeners would know who he is. Yeah. Oh Anybody yeah. Else? He's doing he's great. Drop now. <laughs> well, <laughs> Matthew Dumba is, is oh, another sure. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, Matt Dumba. Um, a lot of friends who made the WHL and maybe played one or two games in the NHL, but never really uh, were able to stay permanently. Um, which sure. is actually sort of it's very sad. Um, watching that, uh, I can we, we still have a whole talk on just hockey, and you know, I mean, sure. so many young men put all their eggs into that basket and didn't oh, get an education true. or a career. And now they're, they're stuck in that world and not having made the NHL. Right. So, yes. but anyway, regardless, when I was 14, I, I started getting tons of concussions, uh, getting hit a lot. Oh. Uh, I kind of, I've, I've been the same size, like <laughs> I'm like five, six since I was like 12, if that makes sense. So I, mm-hmm. I grew early, but then I stopped I like plateaued. Uh, and so it, that was part of it. And yeah, I got a lot of concussions as the other kids started getting bigger than me. Um, and so I, and, and also I kind of drifted because it was, it just kind of, it was very distracting environment with scouts at every game and things like that. I, I got very stressed and anxious and it led to, to sin, you know what I mean? To, for me, like kind of drifting away from what's important. Um, and also this, that environment was quite toxic as well. You're right. You're around lots of the other young boys who are insecure and nervous and, you know, I mean, have so much pressure that a 14 year old boy should not have on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually had a huge conversion experience at the age of 14. I, I was also serving at mass. And while I was in the church, I saw rain like it was raining inside the church. And it was like God's love falling, like pre- precipitously falling on all the people in the church. And I for a few moments, God let me experience like a glimpse of how much he loved everyone, including myself. And I was just altar serving there. I was like 14. And I just started sobbing. <laughs> like, and the, the priest had no clue what was going on. I was just sitting on the side of the, 
you know what I mean? And I, I just, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop crying because I was just like, God loves everyone so much. I need to, I need to stop what I'm doing. And so basically I, I went and I started evangelizing all my teammates <laughs> and I just was telling them about Jesus and how God is real and how he loves them. And, and I said, I'm going to go become a priest. And I, I dropped out of hockey at the end of that year. And I actually joined the seminary uh, at Westminster Abbey at Mission BC. And uh, I, I had a great time there. I was there for grade 10 to 12 and just fantastic. I literally got to be formed by saints, like living saints, men who, who live and breathe the Holy Spirit and are just full of love, full of wisdom. Um, and so I actually decided to join that monastery after I graduated high school. So uh, 19 and 20, uh, when I was, was that old, I, I joined the monastery and I was Benedictine novice and I discerned with them and I realized like I, I, God was not asking me to be a priest. Although I would love to, you know, I mean, be a priest and uh, and I saw the beauty of religious life. Um, it just was not a gift I was given, if that makes sense, right? You can't force a vocation and you just have to be obedient to where God's wanting you to go, right? You have to trust him. It's like, I can't outdo God in showing generosity, right? If he's not asking me to do something, I'm just saying, okay, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Because that's where I'm going to bear fruit. And it was very clear, uh, go get married. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the discernment process. Like I was willing to sacrifice everything. You know, I, mean, I was willing to give up everything. Um, like uh, when I joined the monastery, I, I sold, I gave everything away. I literally was, I was trying to be like St. Francis of Assisi. I emptied my bank account, gave it all to the poor, I gave everything. And I like arrived with a small suitcase at the monastery, right? And I'm like, but what, do, what does Jesus says? Like he who leaves mother, mother, father, land, house, everything for me will be rewarded even tenfold in this lifetime. That's and that's right. that's completely been my experience, right? He didn't ask me to stay in that state, if that makes sense. He sent me back and back to my province. Uh, but it, it's he's definitely blessed me tremendously. So in the monastery, they teach you how to work with your hands. Uh, so they don't really hire contractors. So you are the plumber, you are the electrician, you are the welder, you're everything, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. and, they, and they teach you, right? Like St. Benedict's model is work and prayer. Right. Um, so it's that's that's they teach you how to pray. They teach you how to encounter Jesus in a very profound way. But then they also teach you how to like encounter him in work as well. Right. And and they, and they see it as something that's not a curse. Right. Like we can view work as a curse of the fall. But other but they present it as an antidote to the fall. It's like this is how we, you know, I mean, find our way back into Eden is through work. Right. And re redeemed work. Right. Sanctified. Because anything Jesus has done during his lifetime has become redeemed. Right. So if like everything, because it's like God himself has done it. Right. He worked with his hands as a carpenter. Carpentry is now sanctified work. You know, what I mean, Jesus went and he, he ate, you know, what I mean, he, and so it's like now eating and drinking and all these things are beautiful now because God has touched it. Right. And so um, anyway, so the, I, like things like that I learned in the monastery and I just saw like these holy men performing miracles too, like literal miracles and, and just things that just like that kind of backs up, confirms what they're saying to me as well. Right. And uh, it was such a beautiful time. But yeah, it was basically I, I experienced tremendous growth and healing. And when I left the monastery, the abbot came up to me and he said, I believe God is going to call you to go and heal other people. That's something I think God is asking of you to go do. And so I, I took that to heart. And he said, but when you're older, not like not right away when you're older. Uh, so now I, when I left the monastery, I had tons of practical skills. There was a lot of things I could do to uh, different career paths because I knew how to weld. I knew how to do carpentry, all sorts of different things. Um, but I got a job as an arborist with a, a local company in Calgary. 
And I helped cutting down, uh, cut down trees with them and do tree pruning and things like that. And I realized that this company is not that difficult to run. And so I, I started an arborist company of my own up in Edmonton. Um, and I also, at the same time, I thought maybe I should get a degree because I'm still quite young. And I, uh, I attended the U of A uh, forestry program as well. Well, because it kind of like the seasons are really helpful because basically during the winter when no one wants to hire people to do tree work, you, you can go to university and study and whatnot. And then when things <laughs> slow down in the spring, that's when everyone wants tree work done. Right. So it's yeah. So it was a very that was a very complimentary situation as well. And God also blessed me tr tremendously. Like one of my first customers up in Edmonton, out of the blue was Westminster Mall. Like they called me. I put a small little video on YouTube just saying I mentioned tree pruning and tree removals. And it was just me discussing what I can do and showing some videos of what I've done. And that's literally how Westminster Mall decided who they wanted to hire to do all their mm. trees, right? Like hundreds wow. of trees. And so I got a call and he's like, hi, I'm the manager for all at Westminster Mall. Would you like to be our official arborist? And I'm like, yes. Wow. <laughs> right. And that's like, that's just Jesus saying, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a it's it's fulfilling what jesus said he says is like he who gives given everything for me you know i mean well even this own lifetime reap a hundredfold right and so that's kind of just him him taking care of me and me just trying to be obedient to what he's asking me to do um don't don't get me wrong it was still very hard <laughs> starting the company it wasn't like super easy i still tons of suffering involved but it's definitely been blessed you know i mean i've looked at lots of companies who've gone bankrupt you know what i mean since i've started yeah. and whatnot and but yeah god's always taking care of us and you learn that those lessons too, right? And and those are those are valuable. Um, being an entrepreneur is something that I think is is very Catholic to me. Um, yes. You mentioned uh, Jesus being a carpenter, and of course Saint Joseph being a a carpenter himself had his own small business. I'm I'm thinking he wasn't working for a big corporation, right, Benoit? He was no. <laughs> he was doing some local work for his neighbors yeah. and his community, which was uh, which was fantastic and uh, teaching. Uh, learning to work with his hands and, and making a living for his family that way it's uh, it's beautiful so uh, not only having a trade but also uh, starting a business I think that's really important and, I, and we could probably you know we already said we could probably have a hockey podcast so we could maybe do that in the future and probably another one on being an entrepreneur and, and starting a small business but uh, what's that been like for you just having a uh, a business uh, that that you've started and that you're running it's a big responsibility but it's a way for you to support your family but you also have employees that are that need you as well they need you to be an engaged leader and a manager maybe even a mentor in a lot of ways as well but there's probably opportunities for you to evangelize even in that space isn't there Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I've, I've had the honor of um, many opportunities of, of even with customers evangelizing. Um, like, like sometimes it's just a situation where like, obviously the customer cannot afford to, to get remove a dangerous tree. And uh, they just ask me, it's like, is there anything you can do to help me? And I, it's a way I can show an act of mercy, right? So, um, but yeah, as far as like owning a company, my father uh, owned, owned a company as well growing up in, at home. And he was, he was home every day, right? Just running his company from the home. And for me, it was, that was a great example. Cause I could just see is like, he's present, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's like, I can go with him with my problems throughout the day and he can help me. And uh, and just God's ability to provide for you when you own a company of your own is, as I think is multiplied, right? There's just so many ways where God can more directly touch and bless your family. Um, not to say that if you get paid hourly or work for someone, he can't do that. But for, for me, it like, obviously, like <laughs> I've had so many experiences where it's just like, we've had no work. You know what I mean? It's like for the whole month, it's like, I have no work scheduled and I just, I'll just go pray. I say, okay, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to go to mass. 
And, and by the time I get home, there's already $20,000 worth of work in my emails just waiting for me. Right. And it's just like, just like ability to trust. And, um, and, and yeah, so for me, I just love it. You know what I mean? I also just love that freedom is, is like, you, you, I have more control over my schedule. You know what I mean? I, I can leave when I need to and go places. And yeah, it's just, for me, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful that I live in a province that supports entrepreneurs and, and is, is very fair to them and tax wise as well. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, we live in Alberta too, where, where oil and gas jobs are a plenty and they pay very well, but we've, we've seen the stories, you know, I mean, I, I work in the industry too, I guess, indirectly in that industry, but we've also seen that the, the high wages and, but the, the cost of that might be being away from home for two, three weeks a month, maybe even more than that, sometimes even four weeks uh, during drilling season. Um, the home life takes uh, a, a massive um, a toll, right? Uh, when you're gone, your wife is there by herself and he's got kids that are, that need their dad. And yeah. I mean, for, I mean, and for women too, I'm sure there's, uh, there, there are women that work in the industry as well, but thinking more of men, because that's what, uh, where you and I are at in our lives and having children, um, you know, money doesn't always buy you that happiness, right? And, and working hard is, is a good thing, but also working smart if you can. Yes. And I think one of those things is just, like you said, being present to your family and uh, having that flexibility with work is, is so important. And I know that, you know, even farming, uh, I grew up on a farm and I know it was like for mom and dad, they actually worked out a little bit too. And I, I don't even know when they slept, but uh, having yeah. one of them around all the time, you know, my mom was either around or my dad was around, you know, they might've been out in the field doing some work or working with the cattle, but I knew they were around and there's something to be said for that, right? You don't need to be face to face with your children all the time. But just to be, just have that presence, or you're having meals together—that's uh, that's that's so important, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's something beautiful. Like if you if you look at like Jesus when he was growing up, like Saint Joseph, he was working with Saint Joseph as a young boy, right? He was learning his father's trade. Um, so I think there's something sad that we've lost. You know what I mean? With kind of like the new school to, uh, kind of structure where basically we separate the kids and the parents they go do their own thing and the kids go do their own thing i think there is a beauty to basically where children can watch their parents work right and then basically learn from them and be like oh this is what it means to provide you know i mean this is why i I need to be careful with my money because my parents work so hard for it and i see that right and yeah so there's a beauty to that like uh my my brother-in-law kyle king (laughs) i know oftentimes he'll put his kids in the car and put hard hats in them and uh, on them and (laughs) drive around to work sites and and like look up all his giant scaffolding and i I try to do the same sometimes take my kids to go give quotes and uh to watch my guys cut down trees and stuff but uh, yeah, yeah. That interaction is important. Don't worry. Our listeners are, our longtime listeners will remember Kyle because he was our guest on our second episode we ever had. Oh, wow. So it was already three years ago. But yeah, and Kyle, yeah. of course, is uh, is my nephew. So uh, that's that's great. Good examples of, uh, you know, just making that work uh, something that's relevant and present to our children. But also the spiritual angle too, right, Benoit? When we, and I know some people have to, you know, send their kids to school. I get it. And there are some good schools there too. But at the end of the day, that that disconnect, especially on the spiritual side, I think, um, you know, we, we seem to kind of, we put our kids off to school, you know, as soon as kindergarten comes and grade 12, as soon as grade 12 is done, it's like, okay, next step is, is get out in the work world or go to university or college or something. Whereas, you know, I think that, um, you know, kids still need that time to mature, even at that age, even if they think they know everything at that age. I mean, you and I have been at that age too, where you're 17, 18 years old. And, uh, you know, you still have a, you still have a lot to learn, even if you're in your own mind, you think you know it all. Right. 
And yeah. um, that support is, is so important. And I think we see that disconnect in our society. And even with some of the, the plagues that have come our way, I think of, you know, euthanasia. I think of people that are yeah. elderly and they feel like they don't have a purpose in life. They don't even understand what suffering is anymore. And a lot of them don't even have any any family or children, grandchildren to to take care of them and to to accompany them in that uh, those last stages of their life, right? And then you're like, well, if there's no purpose in life, then then why why am I here, right? And and yeah, I think that's so uh, the job bad. of us. Yeah. yeah, it really is, isn't it? And that's the job of us Catholics to be that leaven in the bread, the, the salt of the earth, right? To to show that the, that there is a purpose and there is Jesus Christ in an afterlife, and and that's just so important that we're we're in the world, but not of the world. And, and it seems like through your job, you're making sure that you, you get in the world, but you're also a light of Christ to others. Ben, one, I think that's a, that's an inspiration to a lot of people, including me too. So, uh, so good. Now we, we better talk about your, your family too, and your wife and your children. Let's talk about that. Uh, that's an important part of your life and, and probably gets you motivated in the morning to, to get up and, and do your work. Right. So uh, tell us oh, about absolutely. that, uh, that how you met your wife and and uh, the children that you have now yeah so i actually met my wife uh three months after i i left the monastery <laughs> uh, and uh, I, yeah i i met her uh, right after she actually was praying a novena to saint joseph to find a good spouse and she actually nice. met me at the end of her novena her, her and her grandmother like she she went to go see her grandmother and she was just like i'm so sad i'm so lonely and then her grandmother's just like well you and i let's just pray to saint joseph to find you a good spouse so they prayed mm-hmm. together this novena and then she met me at the end of it and we met at the family life conference which was pretty awesome <laughs> perfect place so yeah. yeah especially yeah. here in alberta right that's a the big conference that we have every uh, july long weekend in the archdiocese of edmonton so yes yeah yeah it's just so yeah it's so powerful like just to have so many young people and all the like i think we last year we had 2500 people um so that yeah that was about seven years ago or so um and since that time i've we've had four children um and we have a fifth on the way as well i have three boys and one girl and we're not sure what the the fifth is just yet but we're we're very excited Uh, all of them are currently under six (laughs) so lots of young kids uh but it's i I love it like i'm home all day with my to be able to help my wife i'm not sure if we'd be able to do it if i had to leave the house every day um but i yeah since i have kind of an office role for my company i'm able to to be to change diapers and things like that and God shows the way exactly the way He wants it to be, right? And and isn't that nice that you can support your wife in that way and and have that uh, that relationship and sharing the the uh, responsibilities of bringing your kids up, which is not easy. I know we've been there with our children too, and uh, you know it can be uh, a little bit uh, tiresome. But having each other is is uh, huge, and uh, one of the great things about being married and having that sacramental love for each other. Now, another thing that you love to do, and it's, uh, I mean, beyond a hobby, it's just a big part of your life, which is really cool. And I wanted to talk to you about this. And I think a lot of our listeners would, would like to know more about it as well is, is hunting. And, mm-hmm. uh, so it's something that you share with your family as well. And, uh, again, a big part of your life, um, something that's important to your relationship, even with your young kids. I was watching some of your, your YouTube videos and I thought that was really fascinating. So when did you get into hunting? Is this something that, uh, that you shared with your dad or another member of your family? Uh, how did you get into it? Yeah, well, my, my father uh, grew up in Nova Scotia, so it, it's a much different environment out there, a lot less wildlife. 
Um, but he, he was actually mentored on how to hunt uh, down in Nova Scotia. And the, the funny part was, is he, the, the person who agreed to mentor him is, I, I, I don't want to call him a poacher, but he, he kind of didn't always follow the rules, if that makes sense. Uh, so, so my dad learned from him, but they, he was able to learn how to hunt deer and, and ducks and things like that in Nova Scotia. Uh, so when my dad came to Alberta, he, 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 yeah, he's, he's kind of a rule breaker a little bit. Uh, so he, he, he did teach me uh, a few things, but he's not uh, like a very, like definitely not a professional hunter, if that makes sense. He's, he, he really enjoys it, but, um, he never really took a lot of time to, to get to really good at it, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I as a so dad doesn't get into trouble, he's getting better now. <laughs> thanks to your two. Yeah, right? yeah, well, <laughs> well, it's more the legality of things, you know I mean? I, <laughs> sure. I, I'm not confessing to anything, but yeah, <laughs> yeah the, it, it can, can be confusing. You know I mean? There's a lot of regulations. Uh, there really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you, you don't need a law degree to, to learn them all, but I, I know lawyers uh, who hunt and they still struggle to understand all the regulations, if that makes sense. So like, that's how, that's how kind of convoluted uh, it, it can be here in Alberta. So uh, I do hope in the future they'll make it easier to, you know, I mean, actually understand all the rules. Um, but it, yeah, it's quite in depth. Um, but anyway, yeah, as an adult, I had to kind of figure that out on my own. Uh, and so I, I tried my best to kind of reach out to people. And I, I really struggled to find people who would mentor me uh, in hunting just because it, it is tricky. I mean, if you let's say you someone want, approaches you wanting to learn how to, to hunt deer, for example, it's hard. You, like, where are you going to take them, right? If you take them to places, then it's often good places that you've been in the past. And now if you're sharing that with this other person, it limits your opportunities uh, as well, yes. if that makes sense, right? Yeah, so, and, and we all know hunters, right? They they get the, the hunting spot or those special spots. They uh, they guard them like hands on eggs, right? Like, Yeah, uh, well, it's it's hard to find yeah. them, right? And, it it's, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. and so it's, it's not that, like, you, other hunters don't care, but they're just like, listen, like, unless you're my son, like I really don't want to give up my time and also my locations that I've learned how to hunt, you know what I mean? Over decades, I don't really want to share them with you just because it is such a high cost for me, if that makes sense. Uh, so that live in town or the city too, Benoit, right? They don't have access to land in the same way you would, if you were growing up on a farm or grew up in the country, or you have some neighbors that, that, you know, right. So, uh, especially if you're living in a, in urban setting, it can be really difficult to find a spot, right? Yeah. And, and that's a tricky part. You know I mean? is oftentimes like people who want to get into it, the, just the barrier to entry is so high. Uh, it's just cause it's like, not only do you have to learn all these co- complicated regulations, you have to learn how to use a firearm effectively. You, there's a lots of costs to buying decoy and camouflage and all like everything you need to, to go hunting. And then in addition to that, you have to find somewhere you can actually hunt like legally and it also has to be a good spot. You know, I mean, you can find a place to hunt, but there might not be anything there, right? So, yeah. So there's just a big barrier to entries for a lot of people, and I, I saw that. Um, and so I, I kind of, and I struggled with it personally. So what I decided to do is like I'm going to try to make it easier for other people to get into this because it, it's hunting is a very beautiful in this fact, similar to being an entrepreneur, where it just opens up doors where God can directly provide for you if that makes sense. Right. Cause there's just, a, there's so many things that could go wrong on a hunt. Like you got the weather, right. Is it sunny? Is it windy? Is it raining? Is it cold? Uh, you got the animal behavior, which oftentimes is random, right. It's, it's, it's unpredictable. There's other predators running around messing up the, like you might be wanting to hunt a goose field and a hawk or a coyote might run through the field before you get there or the previous day and spook out the field. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of randomness to hunts, right? Uh, and so it, every time a hunt goes well, it, it's, it's, it is, a, it's a miracle. <laughs> like, I, I, obviously there's some things you can do to increase your odds of how well it's going to go. Right. Like you can, I mean, I'm going to do a better job of taking care of not being super smelly when I go into the forest. Right. So I don't scare off deer. I'm, I'm going to do a better job of cleaning my decoys or, or cleaning my guns. So when I do get an opportunity to shoot, I'm not going to have a jam, things like that. You can do to help yourself. But there is, a, there is a, like, and you, if you speak to most hunters who are experienced, they would agree. There's a, there's a, there's a, wonder and a mystery aspect of hunting which makes it so engaging right just because it's just like it's 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 an adventure you like you don't know what's going to happen right you go out there thinking you're thinking it's going to go well hoping it's going to go well and then it does and then it's just it's 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 a it's a beautiful experience uh and and i love it be a a tangible return too right but i mean if you don't get something usually you have a pretty good story too to tell because you're out in nature you're you know you're out in the on the countryside, right? And and uh, sometimes you're, well, usually you're with, with company sometimes too. So you have some some stories to exchange there as well, right? So Yeah, and I, I try my best to, to bring like my, my family or especially my children on hunts, you know what I mean? So even if we don't get anything, it's not a waste of time, right? And that's that's the thing is, is like, I at least, okay, let's say I didn't get anything. At least I got to sit three hours with my son, you know what I mean? And just time that I didn't spend on my phone, right. Or, well, or like distracted that. from him. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, so like, that's one thing that I, there, there's a lot of wonder and beauty and, and it also is just, you're unplugged, you know what I mean? And yes. that's one thing is I think so that, important. yeah, the busyness of life, you know what I mean? It, it kind of, when you go hunting, it just pulls you right out of that. It's like all of a sudden there's silence, you know what I mean? And we're not used mm-hmm. to silence. Right. No. And in our current society, we're just not right. And all society is afraid of silence. Well, yeah, safe to say? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's painful. It's just like, mm. it's like, cause if, if, when things are silent, you have to <laughs> sometimes address things that you rather ignore. Right. And, uh, and so uh, hunting is beautiful in that way. Right. I, I, and the thing is, is like, I find it very interesting. A lot of men cannot sit still. They cannot be present with themselves being quiet for more than an hour. Otherwise they just get so restless, so anxious. It's like, why, you know what I mean? You have to go to the heart of that. Why, why, why are you not at peace with yourself? Right. And it's like, not to make it too psychological or, you know what I mean? But it, it, there is, there is a lot of beautiful things that you can learn virtues from hunting, right? Like patience, perseverance, um, courage, you know what I mean? Uh, so it, it, all, for all those reasons, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm a huge advocate of hunting and I've tried to make it easier for people to get into hunting. So I created a YouTube channel. It's called school of the hunt. Um, I primarily teach people how to waterfowl hunt in Alberta because I, I, a lot of people don't know this, but Alberta is one of the best places in the world to hunt waterfowl. Like people will travel from across the world to hunt waterfowl here just because we have some of the highest populations in the world, the widest range of uh, waterfowl species. And also it's illegal for farmers to charge you to hunt on their land. So they're not for, they're not forced to say yes, like, but, uh, it's illegal for them to charge for it. So a lot of hunters or a lot of farmers will just say, go ahead. You you, you can, if you want to, um, whereas in the States, it's usually kind of more of an elitist thing. Uh, if you're able to hunt, cause you have to be able to afford to pay the farmer $500 every time you want to walk, step foot on his field. Right. And so that's, it kind of, that creates even more barriers to entry to people. Right. And so it's only really the rich that can get to hunt and not really someone who's just starting out in life. Right. So yeah, anyway, sure. so and especially yeah. if you're using yeah. <laughs> the meat to, to eat and to consume, right. If you're spending 500 bucks, uh, you're going to have to knock yeah. over a lot of birds in order to, to make that, yeah. pay, that time pay. Right. So, okay. No, that's, that's really good. Good to know. I didn't know that. Uh, 
that Alberta, I mean, Alberta's, I mean, it's such a beautiful province. You mentioned that before. It's created such a, a very diverse province when it comes to topography. A lot of people know us for the Rocky Mountains, but for the most part, we have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lakes and um, I call them sloughs. I mean, they're not, uh, you know, something you'd probably want to have a vacation at, but uh, those <laughs> sloughs are also, as you would probably uh I agree, Ben, while you're the expert, but that's where a lot of these waterfowl are, where they tend to congregate and, and, uh, it's a good place to hunt as well. Right. So now Absolutely. I grew up on a farm. So, and I, and you know, it's kind of funny cause a lot of people just assumed that I was into hunting, but we really weren't because we raised our own meat. We had our own chickens and beef and we had neighbors that raised pigs. So, uh, we always had a lot of meat in our deep freeze, which was great. And I still remember just the deer that would come into our yard. Sometimes we'd have, you know, 30 or 40 of them at a time. They'd come <laughs> eat our hay. And my dad yeah. would just be really annoyed. He'd go and bang a pot or something to get them away. Because uh, uh, as you know, Benoit, if, uh, when deer, uh, you know, go to the washroom uh, and they, they urinate on hay, well, cows don't really like to eat that. So if anything, they were really looked at as a nuisance. Uh, in our yeah. place. So uh, not to say we didn't have some, uh, some hunting rifles, but I mean, very, uh, a small cat. We're talking like 22 calibers, right? So, uh, the only things I've really knocked over were more like pests around the farm, like, uh, like, uh, gophers and, and, uh, things like that, but, uh, not against it at all. But I know that you mentioned offline that some people sometimes put up a few barriers or even uh, criticize you and other people that are hunting. Um, yeah, for, uh, for doing what they do. So, what would be your response as as a Catholic gentleman uh, and someone who really does take care of the land, that does respect the animal and the birds? What would you say to those people? Yeah, so I'd say like the the concept would be is is like first of all, we all descend from hunters and gatherers, right? If you go far back, uh, uh, someone in your ancestors were that's how God provided for them. Right. It's like they, they didn't have the, the luxury of having sheep and, and goats and things like that. It's like they literally needed to find a deer or a duck or something like that with their bow and arrow. Otherwise, they would die. Right. So well, it's like and to that point, ben, well, like you said, with <laughs> when it comes to livestock or sheep, that was a real luxury for a lot of people. Right. I mean, that you're yeah. a farmer. You had that. That was really something else uh, for everyone else. They had to figure out some other ways to get their protein. Right. Yeah. And so it's like I, I think anyone who disdains hunting is is like well first of all one of the reasons you're here is because your ancestor was able to survive based off of this right so that's one Mm -hmm. that's one just kind of like not even going into theology that's kind of just more just reason but and then yeah yeah, and so i'd also say it's just like yes i'm totally against like cruelty of animals where you're just needlessly killing them you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. i've never went and just shot birds because i felt like it Right. Mm-hmm. It's always like I, I try my best to use the animal, right, and show and be a good steward, like and and show respect to God who created these creatures, right, and 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 allowing it to feed my family and give energy to my little boys and my my little girl, right. So, it's it, so it's like as long as it's put to good purpose, right. And the catechism itself says is like we're we're allowed to use animals, you know, I mean for food and things like that. Um, I, I would say it's probably more like kind of people who are just like, well, I just don't see how you would enjoy doing something like that like why are you happy why are you posing with these animals and smiling right so i don't know what they they want from me maybe they want me to look miserable every time i take a photo near the the the, the animals but it's like it's it's a way of rejoicing and thanking god because it is a miracle like it's hard it's really hard to hunt and when it goes well you're just blown away you're just like thank you god for your goodness thank you for providing for me and and so i'd say yeah and and it's a lot and and i think too also a lot of people have a disconnect between the grocery store 
and where the meat comes from. And I'm sure as a farmer, you, you this probably really irritates you as well, but it's just a lot of people don't realize animals die in order to be put in a grocery store, right? So an animal's gonna die either way, whether you buy it from a grocery store or you go and hunt it yourself, you know what I mean? But I, I, I think a lot of it is just like a knee-jerk reaction. So I think we just have to have a more mature view and being like, yes, in order for me to eat meat, something has to die. Right. And it's, and I think that's that's important for us to see. And I think for centuries, we used to have that awareness, you know, what I mean, when there was more people living on small farms and things like that. And uh, but yeah, nowadays, it's like people are they almost adopt a kind of a pharmaceutical uh, view of it, where just basically it's like, yeah, it's like I'll eat meat, but I would never kill an animal. It's like, well, wait a sec. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know if that's healthy. Right. So but anyway, that, that's what I would it, say. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we... yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, God gave man dominion over animals. Uh, you know, this yeah. is uh, this is biblical, right? This is uh, Adam named all the animals and gave uh, man dominion over uh, living creatures on earth. And I think that's a real important thing for us to to think about. You know, I, I mentioned to you offline too. You know, of uh, you know, any kind of cruelty towards animals is, is a sin for sure. You yeah. think of professional athletes that have uh, been cruel to animals. And they've been punished far more harshly for that than the way they treat human beings. And I think that that's, uh, that's a big issue in our society. I think we've, we've looked at human life as worth less than animals. And yeah. I know some people get uncomfortable with, with hearing that, but I mean, just look at the, the um, emerging industries you see with uh, pet care and how animals are treated, especially dogs and even cats in some cases where, you know, you could spend literally thousands of dollars on accessories for, for pets, uh, around your house. Um, and people spend more money on, on their animals than they do on children. And I think that that's uh, that's a problem where we see our society is backwards and going in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost adding human. Yeah. Like a, the, the value of a human, they're putting it on another creature. Right. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's not what God wants, right? He made us in his image. He didn't make dogs and cats in his image. He made yes. human beings in his image. And so yeah, it's, that. And that's going back to like yeah. pagan religions, right? Where yeah. you, know, you worship the animal versus um, knowing the, the right order of things and that it is hierarchical on earth, just as it is in heaven too. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it is a balance there. And, and I'd say like, obviously we, we, especially in hunting, we have to be careful not to hunt any animal to extinction, right? Like Pope Francis recently talked about that. And you said, it's like, it's a crime. It's a sin to like destroy a species, right? It goes extinct through habitat loss or, right? Like if we're doing things that deliberately influence that, right? Sometimes it's just, it's outside of our control. Um, but like, yeah. So I think in conservation, the idea of conservation, I think that's something that God really loves. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, let's do research. Let's ensure that we're not taking more than we otherwise should and, and for some species actually hunting helps manage their populations because if they grow too quickly they'll eat themselves to starvation right like this happens oftentimes in national parks with elk the elk herds grow so quickly and no one's allowed to hunt in national parks that they literally will eat all the food throughout the winter and they have mass die-off right so way more animals end up dying because there's too many of them for their space where they've been allowed to to roam, right? And, and hunting has been always a part of the ecosystem of North America, right? Indigenous people have been hunting for tens of thousands of years. So it's part of the natural balance of things to allow it, right? And so like kind of suppressing it and saying, no, we're not going to hunt at all. That's that's not like the ecosystem has evolved to, to 
encapsulate that as well and make room for it. And, uh, and, and another thing too, that I always try to mention to people is like any animal that exists in the wild will die eventually, right? It's not like it's going to live forever. And the most deaths that animals will get in the wild are slow and painful, right? It's either from starvation, illness, slowly being torn apart by wolves, like wolves. Like, I don't know if you want me to get into this, but they, they oftentimes will leave the animal. They'll, they'll take tear it limb by limb over like a period of days, right? To preserve the meat. Right. And so it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a rough world out there. If you're, you know I mean? A wild it animal. Is, and we don't see right. much of it, do we? Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it's like, we can kind of, we can look everything through kind of rose tinted glasses, right. Where we're just like, Oh, every, they're all living harmony. The bear and the lion, they're all holding hands. And it's like, there it's a right. Where oftentimes one of the quickest deaths they could have is from a hunter. Right. It's like, rather than starving or freezing to death during the winter, it's like one quick bullet. They're down within a second. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, if you want to look at it from that perspective, it's like, yeah, it's, you know I mean? It, it's yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was just trying to voice that because oftentimes people never really considered that They kind of, yeah. Especially since we have such a, a distance between us and nature these days, right. Living in our concrete jungles. So it's true. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because we have a national park just outside of Edmonton, uh, Elk Island national park where there's, uh, well, there's elk of course, cause that's what it's named after, mm-hmm. but also a, a large herd of uh, bison, right. Um, yes. I can't remember the exact, uh, type of bison people would normally call them a buffalo, but they're, they're bison, but there's a lot of research that's gone into making sure that the herds are, uh, thriving throughout the years. Right. And, and one of them is, well, you know, we got to have some predators inside these fences. Cause if we don't, then we're gonna have a big problem. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I'm glad you, you brought that up. So when it comes to, uh, a, a hunter and somebody that wants to get into it, uh, like I said, I would probably call myself a beginner because I have handled guns before, but I really wouldn't know much about hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. What would you suggest someone that wants to get into it, wants to learn a little bit? Is it maybe the first step is to find a proper gun and a firearm that's going to be uh, something that's within their um, uh, within their limits, I guess, or within their uh, capabilities? And would you suggest yeah. maybe hunting for waterfowl first, or would you go to something like, like a deer, something that's a little bit bigger? What I would suggest is to, yeah, there's a lot of different things you can hunt in Alberta. I, I would suggest starting small. So picking some sort of small game uh, to hunt. So maybe rabbits or, or grouse, um, upland game birds uh, or waterfowl. Uh, the reason for that is there's a lot more of them. And uh, and it's it, oftentimes there's more public land, uh, meaning that like it's places where you can go where you don't even need to ask permission to hunt there. You're you're allowed to hunt there just from being uh, a Canadian and, and Albertan. Uh, so that's what I would suggest is start off, p- pick a small game and, and get good at it first, rather than try to like be like, oh, I'm going to be a expert bow hunter and you know, wolf hunter and all sorts of different things. Just, yeah, but one step at a time sort of thing. And I'd also uh, highly recommend an app called iHunter. Uh, so it's an app you can buy. And basically it allows you to purchase county maps uh, for diff- all the different counties of Alberta. And it'll show you the names of different where different landowners own land and things like that. And it'll also show you places where it's just conservation land, where you're allowed to hunt for free. Uh, and all the crown land as well. So it, that's really helpful in just answering the question is like, where can I go? And in the app, actually, you can click on the areas where you're interested in hunting and it can tell you what the seasons are and what you're allowed to hunt there, uh, which is really helpful for kind of, because they, they, what they kind of have done is gone through the regulations and, and figured it out for you. Uh, so that, that's, that's very powerful. 
and and I think also too, big game hunting, it's a lot harder. Just like the bigger the species is, the smarter they are, right? So your odds of success go down. Yes, the reward is higher. If you like, let's say you get a moose or an elk. Yeah, that's a great reward, but you could spend 30 days trying to get one, you know what I mean? And make tons of mistakes. You might see some, but the odds of you getting one are, are, are low if you're just beginning, right? Whereas you go rabbit hunting a couple of times, you're probably going to get one, right? So that that's kind of, that's what I would recommend is, is kind of start small and then work, build up from there right like as you're rabbit hunting maybe you'll see deer in that area you'd be like oh okay maybe i should come here and then you start to understand the pattern of how the deer move through the area and things like that um so yeah and that's kind of my general advice i would give to someone who's just starting out and easier to to pick up and take into your vehicle too right into your truck uh, versus a moose or something like that you know you knock one over it's not exactly uh, something you can uh walk up to with, uh, with a rope and, uh, and pull them out. Right. It's, uh, it's yeah. a little more complicated than that. So that's, that's interesting when it comes to, uh, a rifle or, um, a hunting uh, weapon of some sort, what would you recommend as a good baseline, kind of a, a beginner level rifle to, uh, to pick up for, for like small game hunting or waterfowl hunting? Yeah, so I, I usually recommend a shotgun for someone who wants to start out right away just because it lets you hunt grouse or rabbits or waterfowl. Um, it just there's a wide range. You can even use like if you buy a 12 gauge shotgun, you can even just put slugs in it and go deer hunting, too. Um, so that's kind of why I recommend uh, starting off with a shotgun and getting really good at it. I don't ever recommend buying a used shotgun just because they often see so much use right? There's so many different rounds. Whereas I do recommend buying a used rifle. If you, uh, there's, there's tons of great rifles, uh, that you can go into Cabela's and you go into their used, uh, area like section and you can get a, a, a used rifle for half the price. And maybe some of those rifles have seen less than two boxes of ammo. Right. So th- that's kind of my trend of thought, uh, rifles. I'm happy to buy used shotguns. I, I absolutely will buy brand new. Um, and 12 gauge is, usually the most standard size. Uh, and, and I recommend like a 30 odd six probably for, for most people, if you're only going to own one rifle, just because it's, it's a powerful enough that it can take down anything in Alberta. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's why, you know, I mean, rather than having to have your deer gun and then have your moose gun and uh, maybe a different gun for your coyote, right. It's, I, it can get very expensive super quickly. You know what I mean? So that's why it's just like, yeah, it's better just to kind of, yeah, just start off small, have some success, cook it for your wife and make sure she's happy right and and then proceed to continue to spend money because it is it is an expensive hobby that is for sure so i don't want to sugarcoat it and be like oh you'll save money it's maybe you'll save money over the course of your life you know what i mean if you're saying okay i'm gonna hunt for 20 years okay then maybe you'll recoup the cost of the stuff you, you buy but it is hard like for example like my my waterfowl hunting decoys it's like i i drive a cargo trailer that to pull my decoys that cause you, you need a lot to hunt waterfowl. So I, I, I've, I'm invested at least 20, 20 K into my waterfowl hunting. Yeah. So it, it's, it gets expensive, right? So, uh, and that's why it's expensive to hire a guide. Cause he's just like, look, you know what I mean? Just for you to come on this hunt, you know how much money I've had to invest in order to <laughs> set this up for you. And yeah. So anyway, but just to give some perspective, whereas if you buy a shotgun and you just go out and hunt grouse or rabbits, like that's, other than your gas and the cost of the shotgun and the ammo, that's your only cost. Right. Um, so yeah. So anyway, I don't know if that's, that's more information than you wanted, but no, that's perfect. Yeah, Would you yeah. recommend too, for people when they're just getting into, into shooting that maybe they go to a, a shooting range or a gun range just to start and just kind of get comfortable with shooting a gun? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. Um, so on public land, you're allowed to do that. You can just, you don't have to pay anything. You can go and just yeah. set up targets and, and shoot. Um, and, but yeah, I, a membership would be really helpful. And if you've never used a shotgun before, going skeet shooting or clay pigeon shooting, mm, that's yeah. very helpful because it takes time to understand the trajectory of things as they fly and how to like, you have to lead them. You have to shoot ahead where the, where the bird is going. Like it makes sense when I say it, but it's That's a right. lot harder to do it with with your inaction, if that makes sense. When you have no, that, makes sense. I think for our sports fans, oh. they know exactly what you mean. A hockey analogy would be, uh, yeah, passing the puck to where someone's going to be, not where they are right now, right? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I find people who've actually done sports are actually better shooters. You know what I mean? Anyway, mm, sure. <laughs> I, I've yeah. noticed that just because they understand that concept of moving objects, and uh, mm-hmm. but, but like oftentimes you don't have time to think, right? It's like you That's you right. flush a grouse, you have like 0.5 seconds to react. Right. An instinct, and so, right, instinctive. Yeah. You gotta go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, a, a big mistake a lot of new hunters make is they 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 buy the brand new guns and they hardly use it, and then they go on a hunt. They spend days trying to get an opportunity. They get the opportunity, and they're not ready. Right. And so, it's there's a lot of metaphors, right, of like training and preparing and formation and things like that that are all great Christian virtues. You know, what I mean that come in handy when it comes to hunting right uh there's uh, like like last year i i had my bow I, like i'm a bow hunter as well which is just ridiculous it's so hard to hunt and and i called in an elk i've been trying to hunt elk for th- three years now i called in a big beautiful elk he came into bow range and and i hit him but i hit him too high right i was off by about two inches right and it's just like and yeah i like had i practiced more that summer you know what i mean maybe i would have got him Right. And so there's a lot of lessons like that where it's just like perseverance and your fortitude. And yeah. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's it, it's a it's a tricky uh, it's a tricky thing to get into. It's not someone if, if you're impatient, it, it will definitely help you become more patient or you'll quit. <laughs> Either two teaches, things will it happen. It teaches you virtue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So anyway, so but I good. could. I could talk forever about it, but yeah. And that's good. And you know what, Ben, we're gonna, I'm going to have you on again, if you don't mind. Someday in the very near future, we're gonna, we got a lot of other things we can cover and, and talk about and always uh, love to share conversations with uh, people that are living in the world but not being of the world. And I really appreciate this conversation. But before I let you go, we talk about the sacramental life here a lot on this podcast and living life in a state of grace. So I, I want to ask you before we, uh, before we conclude, for at least for today until another time, what does the, the sacrament of confession mean to you and living life in a state of grace and receiving communion worthily often? What, is it, what does that mean to you in your spiritual life? Absolutely. Well, every sacrament is an encounter with Jesus, right? That's what it is. That's, that's it. So I, I'd say it's just like that, that needs to mean something to us, right? And it's like I personally am ashamed. Like when I go to Mass, like I should be weeping when I receive the Eucharist. Right. And it's like, Lord, forgive me, increase my, my, un- my unbelief. You're right. Um, Cause that's what the church teaches is like, this is Jesus. He says, this is my body. And, and so for confession, it's just like, like, I think a lot of people don't realize it, but when you receive the Eucharist, all venial sins you have are erased. Um, it's, it's, yeah. And so a lot of people will be very scrupulous about it. And they're like, well, I can't receive the Eucharist unless all my mortal sins are gone but they're not sure if they committed a mortal sin, right? And so I, we could go into what is a mortal sin and whatnot, but I, I, one thing that the monks taught me is if you're not sure if you committed a mortal sin, you didn't commit a mortal sin, <laughs> right? Just because it's just like, it, you have to have full consent and full knowledge, right? And if you're not sure if you committed it, that's, you did not, right? Just by the fact that you're asking the question, you know, if you, you know, when you committed a mortal sin, um, based on, if you, if you've, 
you know, I mean, have good Catholic formation, right? So uh, confession has always been like an encounter with Jesus for me. And it's just like, Lord, forgive me. Give me another chance, right? It's sort of like the parable of, you know, I mean, the, the, basically the i think it's the fig tree that that it's not bearing fruit you know what i mean and basically in the 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 gardeners they give it a few more years and and it bears fruit so that's that's been my life it's just like lord please give me another year forgive me help me grow um and yeah so that that's that's the thing that i would i really like to share it's just like uh and and for me for uh yeah, it, it I, walking in a state of grace like the it, it's it's i think oftentimes like a lot of for me like I, I look at it, I looked at it in a very immature way where it's all about like, Oh, I just don't want to go to hell. If I got, if I die in a car accident, I'm in a state of moral sin, I'll go to hell. But it's, it's more, it's just like, I want to be able to hear God's voice. All right. It's like, I want to walk with God, right? I want to be able to hear what he wants to say to me. I want to hear what he wants to say to other people. And I want him to be able to use me. Right. Cause if I'm not in this, like, you know what I mean? If, if Jesus says he who does not uh, gather, gather with me scatters. Right. And I'd say, the majority of us right now in the Catholic church are scattering people away because we're basically, we're claiming to have this great joy of the gospel. We're claiming all these things and people look into our life and they're like, you're worse off than me. Right. They look at us and they're just like, I don't want to be like you. You're not happy. You're anxious. You still do all the same sinful things I do. Like, right. So we're pushing them away from what will actually save them. Right. Cause we're not actually living the faith we're not actually being who we think we're called to be right and so i think the sacrament of confession is just like lord forgive me give me another chance to help me help me right and make me who who you want me to be so i can, I can so you can use me and send me out to, to others right uh and so that that's the biggest thing is it's like well why would i want to stay in a state of grace it's like well why wouldn't you like don't do you want god to use you do you want to you know i mean radiate the joy of the gospel do you, right like for your family for your friends for your kids like and so like for me that's like it's yeah it's become a lot less selfish thing where it's just like oh i i have to avoid this and like i always like for example with pornography it's always been like oh man it's like i have to avoid that i have to avoid that but now it's like i want to avoid that right yes. it's just mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing it's just like and it takes time like we have to be patient with ourselves too right is it's like obviously like there's many things that i wish i was like i wish i was more struck every time i received the eucharist you know what I mean? but i'm being patient like god will teach me over time he'll help me in my weakness um but yeah like i've I finally come to a place in my life where it's just like i don't want it you know what i mean i don't need pornography I don't, I don't need that because it's just like god is good enough for me and i'm grateful that i have something else Right. That I don't have to resort to that. It's just because it's like he's given me like this jewel beyond all like beyond any price. Right. And that's the thing. It's just like St. Paul says, it's like uh, he talks about knowing Christ. He's like, I consider everything else as rubbish. Right. All like all I need to all I need in life is to know Jesus. doesn't matter if I'm imprisoned. doesn't matter if I'm killed. I just need Jesus and knowing him. And so I'd say, like, if you can't say that in your own personal life, I'd say pray for that gift. Say, Lord, help me know who you are. Help me to know and encounter the joy of the gospel because I really want to authentically live that, not just say it. Because if we imagine if Catholics live that, imagine like, you know how attractive the Catholic faith would become, right? If we actually believe the things we said, right? So <laughs> that, that's kind of like for me, that's why I, I like every day I'm like, Lord, convert me, help me become who you want me to become. And it's not like, oh, now I'm good. You know, I mean, now I don't need a it's like every day, Lord, I'm asking for a conversion, right? I'm asking, I'm asking to be rebaptized, right? So important. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And it seems like you know, especially nowadays, it seems like Catholics we just can't get out of our own way sometimes, right? Like when it comes to being an authentic witness of of Christ's love to others, and and can't put aside the noise sometimes in our even in our own church to 
to focus on the individual and and going after going for souls hunting for souls if i may don't even pardon the pun i do mean it we're hunting for souls as well right and and bringing souls to Jesus Christ. There's a quote that I found here from St. Philip Mary. I thought I'd, I'd share it with you before oh, absolutely. we go. It says, yep. cheerfulness strengthens the heart and makes us persevere in a good life. Therefore, Ooh. the servant of God ought to always be in good spirits. And uh, that's that's where we need to be. And I think living that sacramental life is a great first step to, to that joy and that cheerfulness in life. Benoit, this has been an absolute blast, man. The time's flying by as I knew it would. And uh, we will have you on again sometime if... Uh, uh, your time permits uh, and I look forward to that conversation maybe remind our listeners where they can find more information about hunting on your YouTube channel and also if they live in the Edmonton area if they need an arborist uh, maybe uh, let people know how they can get a hold of you there too absolutely so my YouTube channel is called School of the Hunt um, and I I own an arborist company called Tree Ninja in Edmonton uh, Tree Ninja so like like not a samurai but the ninja uh, and anyway yeah uh, and uh, also I I'm heavily involved with Catholic Family Ministries, so like the Family Life Conference, the Men of Integrity Conference, um, and also Encounter Ministries uh, as well with their healing services. So though, all those places are areas where you can get a hold of me or contact me if you ever need to. Well, big thanks again to Benoit Boudreau for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. Again, Tree Ninja, if you need an arborist and you're in the Edmonton area, he'd be happy to come out and help you. And also School of the Hunt is the name of the YouTube channel. If you have uh, any questions or need some more information about hunting, especially on the, the waterfowl side, there's lots of interesting videos that Benoit has put together and something you can do with your family, uh, your children as well. A great ministry that Benoit has going on. And uh, again, a guy that's an entrepreneur that has a, a hobby that's become a big part of his life, but Jesus Christ in the center of his life. I just I love that. It's, a, it's an inspiration to me and I hope it's an inspiration to you as well. Well, thank you for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast. Follow us on X and on Facebook. Also subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your fine podcasts. And Catholics, we know what we need to do to live life in a state of grace. Even though it is a confusing time in the world, a little bit of a confusing time in the church, I get that too. But you know what? At the end of the day, we have the deposit of faith. We have the catechism of the Catholic Church. We have scripture. We have Jesus Christ, the truth personified, the truth that never changes, and the truth that the world is pursuing right now. It could be someone in your family. It could be your friends. It could be your coworkers. It could be your next door neighbor. Let's pray for the grace to recognize the opportunities to spread the gospel. Because if we're not winning souls for Christ, I'm telling you right now, life, we are wasting our time. We have got to be thinking every day of how we can evangelize ourselves and to share that light with other people. And Catholics, the best thing that we can do is to live life in a state of grace at all times. That's a daily prayer life. That's wearing sacramentals, blessing ourselves with holy water, and going to confession often, and then receiving the Eucharist worthily. Never, ever stop discerning the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, just like St. Paul tells us. And going to confession is not always easy, but we've got to do it. And Catholics, doesn't it feel so good when we have a good confession, a heartfelt, contrite heart, getting out of that confessional once we are absolved? Boy, it feels really good, doesn't it? So let's get back into focus, put aside the noise of the world, and let's focus on going to confession every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. Chat with you very soon.